together this morning. So good. If we have not had the pleasure of meeting before, my name is Randolph. I am the middle school director here at ACF Church, and it is so good to be with you this morning. Um, if you're here in this room, or maybe you're with us online, we just want to say welcome to you as well. Thank you so much for being a part of our church family with us today. And uh, you made it. You made it back to church after Christmas. Praise God. So good. Um, maybe you're, you're still wondering who I am. Uh, I'm the guy last week who Brian said uh, hates Christmas Day. And so uh, if you were here last week for our Christmas service, um, that's me. Uh, at least it was me for a long portion of my life because I didn't have the joy of Christ in my life. There was a lot of buildup for this holiday and a lot of anticipation. The day would come and then it would pass. And then next thing you know, it was, it was back to the same old life. It was back to the same old uh, depressing times in the middle of winter. But if you are a follower of Jesus in this place, you have a joy that extends beyond a single day. That joy should be ever growing now that we're actually beyond the holiday. And so I'm so excited to be talking to you and with you about that joy this morning. Um, church, we got some things, some more things to celebrate. We just celebrated some amazing things God did in 2023. Uh, who else is ready to celebrate a couple more things this morning? Come on. So last week at Christmas, at our six Christmas Eve services, we were praying for 8% of our community to be a part of ACF uh, for our services uh, as we just celebrated the coming of our Savior. And we estimated that that was 2,848 people, roughly. God not only answered that, but he gave us more. We saw 2,849 people come through, amen, these doors, Christmas Eve. So good. We not only have a God who answers our prayers, we have a God who exceeds our prayers. Amen. And even beyond that, oh my gosh, this number is so amazing. We saw 60 people make first-time commitments to following Jesus last week. Let's celebrate that. We don't celebrate numbers for the sake of boasting in ourselves, for the sake of making ourselves feel proud. If anything, this is a very humbling thing. Like, I would choose to work through this community. If you served last week, we just want to say thank you for pouring yourself out, for sacrificing your time, and maybe for some of your traditions last week to, to serve last week for our services. And we, we say this, that every number has a name, and every name has a story, and every story needs Jesus in it. And 60 people can now say that they have Jesus as a part of their story now. How beautiful is that? So good. This morning, I'm so excited to be with you all. We're talking about fruit today. I don't know if you rolled into Christmas Eve thinking we were talking about fruit. Maybe you just went to Fred Myron, stocked up on, I don't know, some bananas or something. I don't know. But we're talking about fruit today. Some strawberries, amen. Couple of things that you need to know as we get started today. The first thing is that I love my wife. Amen. Amen. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Just felt like I needed to state that. The second thing that you need to know as we get started today is that my wife loves plants. You thought she, was, uh, she does love me too, I promise. She does. But she loves plants. She loves to, to buy them. She loves to take care of them. If we have any dresser space 
uh, a shelving space in our house. If it doesn't already have something there, a plant is going there. Uh, in fact, this week she bought two more, and I was like, you're only furthering my point uh, that you love plants. This is a beautiful thing. I don't know if there's anybody else in this house or in this room that would say, or online, where you would say, if there is white space in our house, there is a plant there. Whether it's hanging up from somewhere or it's sitting on something, she loves plants. In fact, um, on the screen is a picture. Uh, this is a plant that we have in our house that uh, normally people buy lights so that they can see. Um, we have this light for our plant. Um, I don't know if there's anybody else. That, I didn't know this was like a thing that you were supposed to do, especially during the wintertime in Alaska, but I guess this is the thing that we're supposed, uh, that, that you're supposed to do to, to help take care of them. Because plants need a few very specific things in order to grow. And the first thing is that they need light, right? Like did anybody, maybe when you were in elementary school, do that that project where you like put a seed in, in soil in one, one container and then one in the other and then, and then you put one in like the closet or a storage room and then one on the windowsill and then you came back a week later and you saw the one that was in the closet didn't grow and the one that was on the windowsill like started to grow and it was like it abutted, started to come out of it. They need light. They need water. They need nutrients. They need good soil. And even as we dive into to, to today's conversation, one of the, the things, one of the most known stories uh, from the Bible that Jesus talks about is what, what we know as the parable of the sower. And it's, it's so famous because Jesus talks about these four different areas that, that a seed can land on, these four different uh, the areas where, where a seed could, could potentially grow out of. And he talks about the path, like a seed that lands on the path. And the seed is just like hearing the word of God. And so when the seed, being the word of God, falls on somebody who, who is on a path, it's like they hear the word, but they, they let the devil steal it out of their heart, is what Jesus says. And when it falls on the rock, he says it's like receiving it with joy. Maybe as we come out of this Christmas season, you are walking in joy. But you are, are it, doesn't, it doesn't take root in your heart, and, and testing comes, and Things happen in this life that are really difficult, and immediately that joy gets taken away from you. And it, lands, it can land on the thorns, which is where you hear the word, but you have so many cares and anxieties and stresses and things in your life that it chokes out this joy and this pleasure that it wants to bring to your soul, and it doesn't grow. And then lastly, he talks about the good soil, which are those who hear the word, he says it holds fast and good in their heart, and it bears fruit. And scripture even says that it grows and it yields a hundredfold. And so I don't know about you, but I personally want to be known as somebody who hears the word of God, who lets it take deep root into my soul, and that I want it to multiply something in my life. Because all of us have things in our life that we can multiply, and I want that to be the thing that, that, my, that I'm known for, that as the church body that we are known for. And the last thing that we know about plants is that they need to be pruned. And this isn't like the pruning when you get out of a pool and your fingers look like raisins um, because you've been in there for a little bit too long. This is, this is what, we, what we know as cutting away or shaving away something that is dead, that is stealing life from the things, the parts of the plant that are living and alive. And very similarly, in our lives, we have parts of us that if we don't prune away, and we don't allow the Word of God, we don't allow the Holy Spirit to, to prune away from us, can start to steal life from the parts that are healthy. And when these 
four things are, are, are received, or when, when plants are, are, are receiving these four things, good fruit can be produced from it. Now you're like, Randolph, that's really cool. We're talking about fruit. Um, I have some bananas in my house maybe that, that, that look like they've been sitting there for a little bit too long. I know that's not good fruit anymore, but what, what does it actually look like? And the first thing is that it's attractive. Good fruit is attractive. I don't know if, maybe you're sitting next to somebody in this room or you know somebody, whether they're in your workplace or your family or your schools, and this person is just, like, you love being around them. You love hearing the things that they have to say. They, they naturally speak life and joy into other people. And maybe they're, they're followers of Jesus, and you're like, man, I don't know what it is about this person, but I just love being around them. I love hearing what they have to say. Good fruit nourishes, like it brings nourishment to our souls, and bad, bad fruit brings poison, right? There's a, there, you always hear, like, don't eat the bad berries, because <laughs> those are the things that will poison you, but good berries will bring nourishment. It reproduces good fruit. Like, this is like the person that, uh, church, I hope that we want to be, we desire to be people who, who go out and, and we want to reproduce good fruit in our lives, through building relationships and preaching the gospel and making Jesus known to the people around us. And the last thing is that it isn't achieved by working, but is birthed by abiding. Like good fruit doesn't have to try hard to be good. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to strive really hard to, to look good and to, to taste good and, and to smell good. Like good flowers, they, they, don't, they don't have to try to do that. They are simply good because of the vine that they are attached to. And Jesus calls himself the true vine. That, that true and abundant life comes from him and him alone. And the truth, one of the truths that we're coming back to today, is that the Holy Spirit wants to produce something deep in us in 2024 that nothing else is capable of doing. Nothing else is capable of doing. And we've been on this journey talking through the deeper life. And we really believe God has had our church on this journey of talking about this John 10, 10 life that Jesus preaches, that he has come to bring life and life abundantly in all areas of our life, not just the ones that are easy or the ones that already look really pretty, in all areas of our life. And we're going to be diving in, starting next week. I'm so excited for this. We're going to be starting the conversation of the deeper life through our identity. And we're going to be journeying through the book of Ephesians, and it's going to be so good. I'm so excited for it. And over the past three months in ACF Youth Culture, we've been talking through the, or who the Holy Spirit is and what his purpose is. What does he want to do in our life? And the truth is, is that he wants to grow, reproduce, prune, and multiply things deep inside of us. And so just to help us wrap our minds around this, a little bit of an understanding on, on who God is, who the Holy Spirit is. We see the Father is God above us. We see Jesus is God with us. And we see the Holy Spirit, which is God in us. But a key truth that we need to remember today is that we are either growing to be more like Jesus or less like him. I think we can get caught up in this idea of middle ground. And we can get caught up in this idea that I'm not Mother Teresa, but like I'm not Hitler. I'm not, not that bad. And so I'm just hanging out in the middle. I, I think I'm a good person. I go to church and, you know, I do the churchy things. But, 
Are we actually growing to be more like Jesus in our lives? So the question that we need to be asking today is how do we know the Holy Spirit is growing us? In other words, as we get ready for this new year, and we're continuing this conversation in the deeper life, how do we actually know that we're walking in it? Like, how do we actually know that the deeper life is, is, is not just becoming something we're hearing about, but it's taking deep roots in our souls, and then it's multiplying something in us? And Scripture lays out pretty openly what it looks like for us to be growing with the Holy Spirit and even apart from Him. And uh, the Apostle Paul starts off the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, we're talking about this, about this idea of freedom and slavery. And Galatians 5.1 says, Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. Now there's a difference between freedom and slavery here. A slave is under the control of something. Whether this is a system or a person or an act or an object or, or maybe it's an addiction in your life or a habit. But to walk in freedom means that you have a choice where your allegiance is tied to. Like if you're in here and you're a follower of Jesus, nobody has forced you to do that. You made that decision to surrender your life to the love and the grace and the truth and the saving and the lordship of Jesus. You're not forced to do that. There's no person that can force you to do that. But in the same way, if you're not a follower of him, nobody's forcing you to, to be there as well. Our prayer is that, man, if you're in here today and you're like, man, if I, don't, I don't really care about who Jesus is. I'm just here to impress my parents. I'm just here to impress my wife. I'm just here to impress my husband. I, my prayer is that you would receive the, this, this good news of who Jesus is and that your heart would be softened to this truth that he is the only one that can bring an abundant life and that you would choose to walk in that today. But we choose to follow Jesus. And so we're going to dive into today's scripture. We're starting in, or we're continuing forward, uh, chapter 5, verse 16 of Galatians. Something that we do um, when, when, when we preach in youth cultures, uh, we believe that diving into the word of God is exciting. And so I ask a question, amen. I ask a question. Are you all ready to dive in the Word of God this morning? And our students just go nuts to that. And it, 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 because they, we truly do believe that. It is, it is amazing that God has given us this Word to speak to us, to reveal who He is, His character, His truth, His nature in our lives. So I'm going to ask you that same question, and I want you to just go nuts for a moment, okay? You have permission to be really loud in church. Um, I, I hope I didn't need to give that to you, but you have that now. Um, also do that during worship as well. Church, are we ready to dive into the Word of God this morning. Hallelujah. So good. Verse 16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then he ends by saying the acts of the flesh are obvious. So I just want to take a moment, pause real quick. Let's talk about what Paul is saying here. Very clearly he says that there, there, there is there's things that our flesh naturally desire. 
And then there is the Spirit of God's desire for our life. And these two things are in conflict. Like, I don't know about you, maybe you drove down the Glen this morning to be here, or you've been, I hope probably everybody in here, if you're driving, you've probably driven down the Glen sometime this winter, and you're either one of two people. You are either the person who, when it snows, you are slowing down like 30 miles an hour. And because you're like, I'm playing it safe, I don't want to, I don't want to go off in a ditch, I've seen too many of those people flipped over, I don't want that to be me, or... You are the person who says the road is no different than it was before it snowed. I'm doing 70, and I'm cruising. (laughs) We know where Pastor Britt is on that topic now. Amen. So good. And uh, (laughs) I don't naturally have patience for for the person on the other side of that. I would say I'm more of a careful driver. Um... And, uh, and I, so I, I don't know if I would say I'd do 30, but I would say I, I, like to, I like to be safe. And if somebody goes flying past me, my natural thought isn't to have grace towards them. My natural thought is to say, you are crazy. And I'll see you in the ditch by the time we get to the next exit. Um, and I'm praying for you then. Um, but that is my natural reaction. And some of you are on the other side where you're like, if the people, if somebody's going 25 or 30, they're more dangerous than the ice is, and they need to speed up. And I don't naturally want to be patient with those people. Like, naturally, I don't want to, 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 to have grace and joy and love for them. I want to think, you are crazy. You need to move out of the way. I'm trying to get somewhere because I'm running a little bit behind because I woke up late this morning, and now it's your fault while I'm late. <laughs> Did I hit anybody uh, too, too hard with that. I don't know. Continuing on, Paul says this. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. He says, he says, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now, who thinks that that list sounds kind of churchy? Little, little, there's some big words in there. Um, when I first heard this, it was probably sometime around freshman year of high school, and I heard this, and I probably had a, a, a youth leader speaking this to me, and I thought, I don't struggle with any of that because I don't know what any of that means, <laughs> which means I, it's not a problem in my life. <laughs> and so a little two-cent Bible tip, we have different versions of Scripture that help us to understand the context of what it's trying to say a little bit more. And so what we just read out of was the NIV, the New International Version. And there's other versions, like the ESV is very like word for word, uh, a translation from the original Greek and Hebrew into English. But then we have other versions like the message translation, which is very thought for thought. And it's a lot more of a modern context that helps us understand Maybe some of what Scripture is trying to say a little bit more. So we're going to read that again in the message translation. And I, I wonder if, after we, lead it, after we read it in this way, if maybe we'll understand it a little bit more. He says, It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied once, 
a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, and ugly parodies of community. I could go on. Like he's saying, this isn't the end of the list. This isn't all-encompassing. Does any of this hit a little bit closer to home, church? It does in my life. Like, I can think of moments this morning where even on my drive in, I was letting the anxiety and stress of even speaking to you today fill my mind with mental and emotional garbage that did not need to be there. Maybe your mindset in your work or in your school is to be the best person that, that, that is around you, the best of all your peers, and you don't care how you have to get there. And you don't care how or who you have to hurt in the process for that to happen. Maybe you have once in your life, maybe, maybe God has filled you, uh, your life abundantly, and you have everything that you could ever dream of, and you have the family that you could, you, you could never imagine having, and you have, you have so much blessing in your life, and yet we put all of our weight on those things, and they never actually truly satisfy. Maybe you have a brutal temper, and you just get really angry with people all the time. And this is me for a very long time. I would get this brutal temper all the time. And now after reading this list, I can clearly see areas of my life where, whether in the past or even now, church, like we have sin nature inside of us, whether you're a believer in Jesus or not. Like, yeah, he paid the price for all of your sin, but that doesn't mean you're never going to sin anymore. And so the journey of sanctification is daily saying, God, I'm going to surrender more of my life. I'm going to prune away, I'm going to allow you to prune away all the dead parts of me so that your spirit can take control, so that your spirit can fill me with more life. And Paul has a very clear message to the Galatian church after reading this in verse 21. He says, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a very heavy-hitting statement. What he's not saying is that if you sin, you're not going to heaven. He's saying that if you, if you struggle with sin still, you're, he's saying that, that that's not disqualifying you from heaven. If you have received Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, he has sealed you. But what he is saying is that there's a difference between the falling short that we naturally do, and that I do every day, and that you do every day, and making a habit, a deliberate habit to practice and withhold any desire to surrender things to him that, man, do not need to be a part of our lives. Another way of wording is to make a practice of doing. And so a question I want to ask is at what point does something go from falling short, simply falling short, making a mistake, to become a practice in our lives that we have lost a desire to want to deal with. We have lost a desire to want to work through. Because here's the thing about sin. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will make you pay more than you want to pay. It's going to cost you. And when we come to Jesus to save us, we also have to expect that he's going to transform us. 
and that he's going to change us and he wants to be the lord of our life as well but these things like you might not be a person like i read like the, the first thing about about repetitive loveless cheap sex maybe you're not there but you're like man maybe i deal with a pornography addiction and you're like well that only affects me it doesn't affect anybody else it's just me but over time that is going to develop into something that you're one day going to get to a point you're going to say i don't know how i ended up here doing this thing and that was me for a long time with with alcohol where I, I started drinking when I was, when I was young, and I, I didn't see it as anything that was, that was major. I didn't see it as a big deal. It was a fun thing to do with my friends. And the next thing you know, it developed into something that I was like, man, I don't know how I ended up here. I don't know how I ended up in this addiction. But I look back, and it was, it was this constant uh, lack of paying attention and desire to allow God to transform something in my life that He wanted to take away from me because it brought nothing but death. And Charles Spurgeon says it this way, that the grace that does not change my life will not change my soul, will not save my soul. It's not this, it's not that Christians can never fall short in the sin, but we shouldn't want to stay there. Like we have a Lord, we have a God who loves us so much and wants to walk us out of the areas of our life, out of the things in our life that are stealing life away from us, but Church, we have to have a desire and an openness to allow him to do that work. Galatians 5 continues in what's one of the most famous passages in the Bible, which is the fruit of the Spirit. And starting in verse 22, I wonder if anybody can say this without looking at the screen. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen. I don't know who got that, but maybe somebody did. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And crucifixion is painful. Crucifixion costs Jesus his life. In the same way, there's things maybe inside of you today that would be really painful to, to surrender to God for him to, have, to work in. But, in or, but what, what we saw in crucifixion, what we saw in Jesus' crucifixion is what was once put to death got raised to new life. And Jesus wants to do that same work inside of you today. And so what we see is that there's an act, there's acts of the flesh, and there's the fruit of the Spirit. And these things are always contrary to each other. And you're either led by the Spirit or you're led by your own wants and desires. And my main point for you today is that when God calls you out of something, He always calls you into something better. And we strongly believe as a church, man, God wants to take us somewhere in 2024 that we've never been before. And not just as a church body, but you personally, in your life, God wants to take you somewhere in this next year that you have never been before. But we have to be open to that. You're probably wondering why in the world are there two ladders behind him? Do they know that they put those there? They're trying to fix the lights or something? No, they're not trying to fix the lights. Um, these ladders are here because this base level here is like a, uh, it's like a new believer. Right? Like you got one foot on the Lord. You got one foot following Jesus. You're like, I don't know what this looks like yet, but I just know I'm in. I'm diving in. Jesus is so good. And this is maybe some of you after Christmas last week. You're like, I, I want, this is the joy 
that, that, that is so good and that I received it and I want to walk in it, but I don't really know yet how to let go of the things from my old life. I don't really know how to let go of the things that, that I used to walk in before that stole life from me. Maybe are still stealing life away from me. But church, if we're not careful, what will start to happen is we'll take a step. Maybe you get plugged into serving. Maybe you start reading your Bible. Maybe you start praying more. Maybe you start trying to pursue the things of God, and you're trying to abide in Him. But at the same time, the world looks really good, and it's not quite worth letting go of yet. And what will start to happen is we'll continue to grow in that same direction, and we'll start to say, man, God, I'm really pursuing after you, and I love you, but these things are really, really good. And they really satisfy. And they really bring a feeling that just is, is awesome. It feels really good. And really what this side is doing is stealing life away from you. But if we don't let go, what we're doing is we're walking on a tightrope. And we're trying to balance in the middle of this thinking this is, this, this is where the Christian life is supposed to be. Somewhere between God and somewhere in the middle with, with my foot on the world. Somewhere between loving, accepting, and walking, and all the beautiful things that being a follower of Jesus brings, and walking and, and loving all the, the worship music, and loving the community, and loving Sunday mornings, and loving our life group, and loving the things, and loving serving. But at the same time, I refuse to separate away from the things that are stealing life away from me because they feel so good maybe there's some of you today who you got out of the bars downtown at 11 30 or 1:30 in the morning last night and you're here today and you're walking in the middle and i use that specific example because that was my life for a very long time and I thought that I had it really good I thought I was really good at being a master of living in the middle of saying, I can look really good to church people, but living like the world is really fun. And really what it did was it stole life away from me. Who here is scared for me right now? <laughs> Amen. The people who know me the best um, know that I'm the last person that needs to be standing in between two ladders right now. In fact, I don't suggest anybody do this uh, ever. Um, I'm the clumsiest person I know, and I'm the clumsiest person most of you know. Now, here's the thing, my friends. You should be scared. Because to think of a life where this is okay to be is terrifying. It is terrifying to think that it is okay to stay in this middle space. Because I could fall. I'm pretty sure some of the staff has a bet on if I'm going to fall today. And it would be destructive. Like, it's not as bad for me to fall from the bottom. But if I'm up here, this is a dangerous place to be. And it could be really destructive. And you might not have fallen yet. Maybe you're in this middle ground and you haven't fallen yet. But the fall is coming. And I, I pray it doesn't. But at some point, we need to make a choice where we either go all in on one we go all in on the other. Because over here, I'm stable. Over here, I'm sturdy. This isn't going anywhere. 
I'm fine. In fact, I could probably, I'm not going to because I'm not going to risk it, but I could probably keep climbing and be okay because this side is stable, but in the middle, uh, there's no good foundation there. And yet some of us think that it's okay to live there, and what we would call that is living in cheap grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer defines cheap grace this way. He says, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is, is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. In other words, it means to receive all of the benefit without any of the transformation. It means to receive Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. It means to belittle the price that was actually paid for you on the cross. Now he also talks about what true, abundant, freely received, yet costly. He calls this grace costly. Because even though it's free to receive, it costs God something. And this is what he calls it. I want you to close your eyes as you hear this. And just imagine what this is like to walk in. He says, such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. So what does it mean to walk in this type of grace? It means to first receive it as a free gift. Maybe you're in here and you haven't made that decision yet. I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. To receive this free grace of abundant life, of salvation, that can only be provided through Jesus and Jesus alone. And some of you, maybe you gave gifts during Christmas, maybe you received a gift during Christmas. Nobody received a gift and then immediately went on Amazon to see how much it costs so you can pay that person back. That's just weird. We don't do that. No, you just receive it for the free gift that it is. There's nothing we can do to pay it back. And that's a huge blessing. We get to just abide in it. And then it means we need to walk in it, which means you're going to look different than the world. And that is a beautiful thing. I don't need to preach how, how destructive and dangerous and terrible this world is. You just look around you and you can see that. But to walk in this grace means you're going to look different than that. That's a beautiful thing. It means that the things that used to cause death in your life are going to be pruned away through the work of the Holy Spirit and you're going to get filled with the abundant life that only Jesus can offer. Jesus looked different than the world. And Jesus is worth following. 
And here's the thing, my friends, we're really good at sinning. Like, I'm really good at sinning. It could be so easy for me to leave here today and go home and live a life that looks nothing like the life that Jesus has for me and for none of you to know about it. And you are just as capable of that. You are just as capable of living in the middle where you can look really good to churchy people. But at the end of the day, the things that we allow to fill our lives are, fill, are just things of destruction. And they bring hurt and pain. And the thing is about that is that Jesus is so much better at saving than we are at sinning. He is so much better at saving. In fact, he will always be better at saving than you can be at sinning. And he is always pursuing after you. And he's just waiting for you to turn around and say, good, good father, I am surrendering to you because nothing over here satisfies. And I'm going to put to death all of these things. And I'm going to lay down. I'm not even going to let it be a ladder that exists in my life anymore. And I'm going to sustain myself. I'm the only thing that can provide true and abundant life, the firm foundation. I'm going to allow the good news of Jesus to take deep root in my soul and to multiply something that only he can do. Sin may take you further than you ever thought you were going to go. But it will never take you far enough for Jesus to, to not be able to reach you. There's no place you've gone. There's no length of time you've stayed there. There's no price that you paid that disqualifies you from that love. And you can receive it freely today. Because here's the thing, my friends. The kingdom of God is not just for the next life. He wants you to experience it today in this one. And you can have that. So my question to you is, what did you nourish over the past year? What did you pour your energy and your soul into? Did it change your heart? Did it transform your soul for better or for worse? Because there's something so much better for you. Psalm 95.7 says today, not next year, which is tomorrow. Ha ha, made a New Year's joke. Not tomorrow, not six months from now, today. If you hear God's voice, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Because what he speaks is life and truth. And it may hurt a little bit to let go of the things that brought death, but we trust that he's going to fill that space with life. One ladder, one side is a side of shame. The other side is a side of grace. One side is lived through striving. The other side is done through abiding. One life is full of slavery. The other one brings freedom. God is the one who does the work. And our job is to obey. And say, good Father, I'm following where you are leading. There's some action steps at the bottom of your card that 
you can tear off and you can place in the basket on your way out the door. The first one is to begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're in this room, you're like, I need to do this for the first time today because this has never provided. And I want the firm foundation of Christ to be what my, my soul, what my life rests upon. And we'd love to celebrate that with you today. The second is to memorize Psalm 95.7. Maybe you, you're like this year, I'm going to start memorizing scripture. Memorize this truth that we read that when God speaks, we need to be ready to listen. We need to be ready to soak it in. To allow it to take deep roots inside of us and then to obey the voice that is leading us. Maybe today you need to surrender something to Jesus. Whether it's something on that list or something off of it that you're like, man, I need to surrender this today. And the last is, for the next 21 days, we're going to be on a journey of prayer. And on your seats, you have handouts that are yours to take home. Of, and, and they just get, help give you some, some prompts and some scriptures and some things that we are praying over for the next 21 days as we start this new year tomorrow. And maybe your next step is baptism. Maybe you said yes to Jesus today. Maybe you said it five years ago. And what we see in the book of Acts is this is the next step for a, a new believer to symbolize the, the putting to death of your old life and the being raised to the new one in Jesus. This water is warm, but it's not holy. There's nothing special about it. It's warm, though. And we have everything for you in the back that you need. We have shor uh, shorts and shirts and, and hair dryers and everything that you need so that today you can't make an excuse as to why you don't take that next step. And even down in the front, if you want to come down and worship with us for the next few moments, you're more than welcome to do that as well. But church, let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you. You are so good. You are so good to us. And you are the good Father who is always pursuing after your creation. You are always pursuing after, God, us people who... We'll never be perfect. We'll never get it right. And yet you love us anyways. You first loved us. And so Jesus, I just pray for that person today who's receiving that good news for the first time. Where your love and grace and truth and mercy and kindness and gentleness speak deeply into their souls today. Would it be the loudest voice in their mind right now in this moment? And Holy Spirit, if you are speaking to somebody in this room to take a next step, to do something, God, I pray that we would be open to that and obey where you are leading us. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. And God, we know that nothing else compares to what you have done for us. God, we thank you for the love that you first poured out onto us. Pray that you would grow our love for you in a deeper way today, Jesus. Amen. Love you guys.